But I, I wanted to pick up um, my heart still burning from um, Jeremiah, the text we used the week before. I want to return uh, back into Jeremiah. We remember Jeremiah last week as we gave a little bit of introduction to him. He was known in the scriptures as the weeping prophet because uh, he was the spokesman for God in hard times. Can I tell you that I believe that we are living in hard times today? We're living in a, in a nation uh, that is apostate, that has turned its back on the principles and precepts of the Word of God, on Judeo-Christian ethics, the foundation of which na the nation was founded upon. Uh, there's no longer a, a, a biblical worldview um, uh, that's anything other than uh, pockets of God's remnant who still holds to that. And as God's people, we hold to the biblical worldview because we are His people. Amen. There's no compromise in the uh, church of the living God. The whole world may go a different direction, but we are his people and we will swim upstream in a downstream world, uh, rubbing up against, abrasively against those who are floating downstream. Somebody say amen. And Jeremiah was that kind of a prophet. He was a man of God, called by God to preach the Word of God, to prophesy to a, a people who had uh, violated the terms of covenant, a people that judgment was falling upon because of their repeated ignoring of God's principles and precepts in their lives and in society. Many of his countrymen had been taken into captivity to Babylon, and worse was to come. It seemed when he would preach the word of God, uh, he got uh, punished for it by those in authority. And so Jeremiah was living in tough times. But I can tell you that even in, as we said last week, when he was imprisoned, God's word was not imprisoned. God's word came to the man of God. And whatever situation we find ourselves in, imprisoned in, as it were, proverbially, we will find that God's word will shine even brighter in the darkness of our prison cell. That God does not abandon those who call upon his name, who believe on his name, who serve him. He is the living God. He is ever-present in those and with those who are serving him and walking with him. And so it may seem like things are dark, but God's love and God's power and his presence are brighter than the darkest darkness in this world that we find, may find ourselves in. In fact, I title of my message today, Is There Anything Too Hard for God? Is There Anything Too Difficult for Him? We were singing some songs today that certainly are countering that anything is too difficult for God because He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the God who created everything that is, and He holds all of creation together. That He is a God who holds our lives together in troubled times. When things are falling apart at the seams, God comes along and He holds it together, doesn't He? He holds us together in hard times. And I can tell you that Abraham, at one time, God told him when Abraham was an old man, reminded him actually of a promise that he received many years earlier. God said, You're gonna, your wife's going to have a son. And, and Abraham wondered about this. He was a little bit puzzled about it. Is this possible when I'm an old man? My wife is an old lady. She still looked good, though, and, and, and here it was. And, and, and it's a puzzle. God asked him because God knows what we're thinking, doesn't he? And God said, uh, Abraham, is there anything too hard for the Lord? 
Now, he asked him this question, and Jeremiah later on answers that question. He says, there is nothing too hard for you, Lord, nothing too hard for you. And he said that in the moment of his distress, in a season of distress in his life. God's power is absolutely limitless. There is no limit to what God can do and will do on behalf of his people and demonstrate his power to them. His promises are secure. God is not a man that he can lie. In fact, in the Bible, we're told that there are over 30,000 promises to God's people, and God will keep his word. There are no promises too hard for God to keep. There are over, as we said, 30,000 promises, and God keeps his word. If God made the promise, he cannot lie. There is no promise too hard for God to keep. There is no prayer too hard hard for God to answer. Somebody say amen. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, that all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer believing you shall receive, and when you pray and believe you'll receive. Somebody say amen. There is no problem too hard for God. Have you ever been in midst of problems in your life? I have. It seems like problems are just a part of life in this fallen world. But there is no problem so hard that God cannot solve it. God specializes, actually, in things that seem impossible because with God there is nothing impossible. No, uh, no, now God may not solve exactly your problem the way you want to, as we talked about last week. But God hears you when you pray, and God comes alongside of you, and the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal bodies. So God is here, God is able, and God is not deaf, God is not short-sighted, His arm is not too short that He cannot reach down to save. There's, in fact, let me tell you this, there is no person who has strayed so far from God, who is so apostate, so far away from Him in their behavior, in their mind, and their actions, and their thoughts, that God cannot save, that the Holy Spirit cannot reach through the convicting power of His Spirit, through the anointing, and break the yoke of their bondage, open up their blind eyes to see the truth that God is the God of their salvation, the God that they can call on to. Somebody say, man, He reached down into the gutter and scooped me up and raised me up and seated me in heavenly places far above rule, principality, and power with Christ Jesus, and he did the same for you. It's just some people, he has to reach a little bit lower into the muck and the dirt, but he's willing to do that. Aren't you glad that God is willing to save you, that God is willing to renew you and to give you a new life? I'm so thankful for that, that he does that, and I'm so thankful that God is no respecter of persons. I don't care how far someone has gone in their sin, how perverted they have become in their moral behavior, how far away they are from God in their mind, the Holy Spirit is able to penetrate their thoughts the Holy Spirit is able to reach their heart and release the revelation of who Christ Jesus is and raise them up to a place of salvation when they call on his name. Amen and amen and amen. Jeremiah believed in a God like that. Jeremiah believed in the God of the impossible where there is nothing too hard for him. Jeremiah had actual awe in 
the creator God. You think about the different aspects, the different things that God has done. I think one of the most wonderful, incredible things God did is he spoke into existence out of thin air what exists today, that there was nothing that God didn't create There is nothing that God did not perfect in his creation. And when God spoke, something happened. In fact, the verbiage in the original Hebrew, when it says that the spirit of when God spoke, the world's into existence, and and the uh, world was out form and void, and when God spoke, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, moved, and that word in the Hebrew inadequately translates into the English, but it literally means that the power of the Holy Spirit vibrated upon the surface of the waters to separate the water from the land, that the power of God was in operation, and God spoke, and it existed. Human beings, male and female, were created by God, by God, created by God. One of the reasons that we have so much apostasy in this world today, so much agnosticism, so much atheism, is because people have departed from the belief that there is an intelligent creator who designed intentionally everything that exists. And I mean to tell you, it's a powerful thing. Uh, Jeremiah said this, he said, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Listen to that. Nothing too hard for you. When Jeremiah looked at the incredible creation, he saw the power and the wonder of what God had made and everything that he had done. He marveled and it gave him a revelation, a bigger picture, a revelation of who God is and what God is actually capable of. He tells him that you've made the heavens and the earth. And he says, nothing is too difficult for you. If God, you can do that. If you can fling the stars into place with your fingers. If you can speak into existence everything that is here that we can see with our finite eyes, then God, you're an awesome God and nothing is too hard for you. In fact, the wonders, Jeremiah might agree with this, that the wonders of creation reveal the glory of God. When you look closer at the natural world around us, we can perceive the qualities, the power, the attributes of the Creator, and we can draw closer to Him. When we're out in nature, in the dark of night, when there's a cloudless sky, you can look up and you can see billions of stars shining in the, in the skies. And you can see it's so bright, it's so clear. And, and like me, uh, I don't know about you, I've seen uh, the, the northern lights, the display of the northern lights that put any fireworks display that they pay for and create with their hands. God created the northern lights, and it's more beautiful than anything you could ever imagine. When you look at that and you see that, you, you have to think. When I saw I just my heart just, and I thought, God, who can, who can deny? Who can ever deny that you are real? that God, you're the creator, that you have created all of this for your pleasure and for our pleasure and for our enjoyment. The psalmist did that. He looked into the night sky. And you think David uh, living out as a boy into the, into the fields and the hills of Judea in the nighttime watching his father's sheep. And you think about David just laying back on the grass or leaning up against a rock and looking up into the skies and seeing the beauty of creation. Psalms 8.3 says, When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers. Notice his verbiage, the work of your fingers. God didn't even have to use his whole arm, is what David's saying. He just used his little fingers and just 
created. He considered the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place. God spoke them into existence and placed them strategically, exactly, precisely where he wants them in the heavens. I know there's a lot of stir and a lot of fear and concern of a lot of scientists who are worried about what they call black holes and how that things are being consumed by gravitational pull into these holes. And they're thinking it's going to be the end of the universe, that someday those black holes will come and suck the earth and all of us into that black hole and we don't know where to live. But can I tell you something to relieve your fears that when you believe in a creator God, you believe that just like Paul said to the Colossians, is that God not only created all things through Christ, spoke them into existence, but he is able to hold them together. We don't have to worry. We don't have to baby. We, we should be good uh, uh, stewards of the, of the planet that we live on. But by the same token, I'm not worried about the earth dying, Mother Nature dying. God renews things over and over again. One day this earth is going to burn. Anyway, God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth uh, wherein righteousness dwells. Psalms 8, 4, and 5 says this, what is man that you are mindful of him? When God, uh, uh, he looks at this, uh, when uh, David looks at the stars that you know, sees the creation, he says, you know, I feel so small, God. I just feel so tiny. I feel uh, like, uh, smaller than an ant <laughs> with humans walking around ready to crush him. He says, what is man that you are even mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? How can you care for something so small? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with with glory and honor. David was just looking at himself, seeing the stars, the heavens, and how big God is, and feeling so small. But can I tell you that God loved David? Can I tell you that God loves humanity? That God loves you? You are not a little ant in the sight of God. You are a person that he created and formed in your mother's womb. That God loves you with an everlasting love. Loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a bloody cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine. He loves you so much that when Christ was buried the third day, he raised him from the dead victorious so that he would be the first fruits to go into eternity that we who believe in him can follow. Isn't God good? Isn't God awesome? David saw him as being awesome and incredible. Uh, Psalms 19.1, the psalmist said, The heavens declare, declare, they announce, they proclaim, they shout from the housetops the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands, that they testify of the incredible power and the wonder and the miracle uh, working of creation. You know, as we said earlier, that so many people lose their faith in God because of lies they've been told about uh, evolution. In fact, can I tell you that evolution is not even a formidable theory today? They, they hold on to it, clutching to the theory of evolution because they have nothing to replace it with. They can't explain anything. It's been disproven over and over again. In fact, if I had children growing up in a secular school system, I would make sure that they had plenty of access to the Creation Museum and so that they could see the true story of what really happened and how God really created. It makes a lot more sense and it takes a lot less faith to believe in creation than it does in evolution. Even the sun is like a giant nuclear engine. It gives off more energy in a single second than mankind has produced since creation. It converts 8 million tons of matter into energy every single second and has an interior temperature of more than 20 million degrees Celsius. 
Sometimes we find evidence in the animal kingdom. If you take, of God's creation, you take the golden orb spider. Uh, How many like spiders? I think they're quite interesting. Uh, I think they are a creation of God for a purpose, and sometimes we don't like what God created, like little bats. How many like bats? You know, but bats have a purpose. How many like snakes? Snakes have a purpose. I like seeing snakes around the, the grounds because then I see less mice trying to get into my garage, so that's okay. And, uh, but God created uh, spiders, and the golden orb spider, for example, pound for pound, the dragline silk of this one spider is five times stronger than steel, and is twice as strong as the material that currently makes up SWAT team's bulletproof vests. In fact, due to its amazing strength and elasticity, it has been said that you could trap a jumbo jet within a spider silk that has the thickness of a pencil. God created the spider and all that that spider is capable of doing. And sometimes the evidence for God exists cannot even be found or can even be found in our own bodies. The writer of Hebrews spoke about this evidence when he said, every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. One of the best examples of design and creation within the human body is the human eye. Not just the human eye, but and we don't have time to really go into all the details of this. We could go on for hours about the human eye. And even the eye of nocturnal creatures like the owl and how God created their eyes different, so intelligently designed so that he could create uh, the uh, nature to work best and to function the way that he intended it to. But uh, the example of the human eye, even Charles Darwin struggled with the problem of how to explain away the complex organ of the eye, Uh, how it could even have possibly evolved through natural processes. According to The Origin of Species, he wrote in 1859, he says, to suppose, and I quote Darwin, to suppose that the eye, with all of its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amount of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest sense. So even Darwin had trouble trying to explain away how that the human body, even the little part of the human body, the eye, could have naturally uh, created itself, evolved into something. It had to have intelligent design. Would you say amen to that? I mean, God is an awesome creator, Uh, We are fearfully and wonderfully made according to the Word of God. So Jeremiah stood in awe of the Creator God that overshadowed his problems, the the size and the power and the wonder of God. Uh, Secondly, the Creator God, he poses a question. He poses a question to his prophet. And can I tell you that he poses that rhetorical question even to us? He says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? 
He might pose that question to you, or maybe he has posed that question to you, when you face seemingly insurmountable circumstances in your life, when you are facing trouble, maybe sometimes the greatest trouble that you thought you would ever face. And the Word of God has to come shining through into your heart and into your mind with that imposing question by the Creator God, is there anything too hard for me? And we answer that question, say, God, like Jeremiah said, Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and an outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Can you say that with me? There is nothing too hard for you. And we say that to God because it's true. Not because we're trying to flatter him, not because we're trying to appease him, but because it is a fact that God knows no limits in what he is able and willing to do. The question is asked to, again, to every generation of believers by the Lord. And, and in times like this, when we live in our nation that is falling away from God, and, and we don't know where it's all going to end up with this reckless spending of trillions of dollars, and who's going to pay for it, if anybody even can pay for it, we don't know what's going on. But can I tell you that in the midst of all this, my heart gets a little troubled, but then I turn to the Lord and say, God, <laughs> you created the heavens and the earth. There is nothing too hard for you. The same God who created can take care of his people. He can watch over us and give us his watch care. Uh, since we ask this question, God answers to every generation of believers, it's renewed each year. You know, we have children and we have grandchildren. And my children and my grandchildren, especially my children, had to face that one day. Is there anything too hard for God? Is God able to provide for us? Is God able to help us uh, to achieve our dreams of going to college and going into ministry? Is God going to provide for us in ministry? Is God going to provide for our children when they're sick? And can we turn to the Lord in times of trouble? Will he hear us when we pray? Every generation has to learn that on their own. They can't inherit that from mom and dad. They can inherit a godly heritage. They can inherit a, a, a life of faithfulness from their parents, but each generation, each child has to learn that God is there for them individually. There is nothing too hard for God. Nothing too hard for God. Job questioned God about God. What are you doing? Have you ever questioned God about, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Why are you letting this happen. Why am I having to go through this? God, I thought that I was your child. How come I am having to suffer? Well, Job questioned God enough, and God finally answered him. And God answered him in chapter 38, verses 4 to 12. It's not on your overhead, but Job, God asked Job, he says, where were you when I created the earth? Huh? Where were you? You're so smart. Sometimes we think we're smarter than God, don't we? And Job, he says, tell me since you know so much. Job, come on, tell me. You, you know everything. Who decided on the size of creation? Certainly you'll know all of that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements of creation? How was its foundation poured? And who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise. And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me, God said. He said, I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it safely in at night. And then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen so that it wouldn't run loose. And said, stay here in your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. And have you ever ordered the morning, Job? Have you ever ordered the morning uh, and said, get up? And told Don, get to work. 
This is the Message Bible, by the way. It's a little uh, uh, translation, a little stronger and powerful, isn't it? Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at the night sky and told the dawn, son, get up, it's time to get up? God has. He created it. And what he was telling Job is the same thing he's trying to tell us. You may go through seasons of trouble in your lives. You may go through hard times. But God is there for you and not against you. Didn't we sing that this morning? That he's for us, not against us. That whatever you go through in life, there is a creator God who created all things and put them into place. There's a creator God who asks you the question in your hard times by the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, is there anything too hard for me? as he reminds you of his power and his presence. We, like Jeremiah, need to hear the word of God who asks us, is there anything too hard for me? He can handle any problem and lead us through and out of every valley that we find ourselves in. Would somebody give me an amen? And thirdly, God gives us personally an invitation. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back as I'm finishing here. God gives us an incredible invitation. What does he say? We can call on him in times of trouble, that we have access to the very throne of God to receive help and mercy in our time of need. We can call out to Him when we are in danger. Have you ever done that? I certainly have. I called out to Him one time back in Liberty, Missouri, when I was leaving, uh, leaving town one early morning, going up to St. Joe because I was in management and had to go up there and do an inventory and, and train somebody. And I'm heading out of town right at the intersection of 291 Highway and the clover leaf that goes around there. And I came up going 45 miles an hour. I wasn't speeding. And, and I saw a stop sign on the outer road coming up, and the headlights were on. It was dark still because it was very early in the morning before the sun came up, and they stopped. I saw a pickup truck stop, and so I kept going, kind of, well, he stopped. He saw the stop sign, and just when I got up there, he pulled right out in front of me, and I was driving a little Nissan Sentra. That was kind of a soup can, you know? And I saw that pickup truck coming at me, and it was going to broadside me. And I thought, I'm dead. I didn't have time to even put my brakes on. Didn't have, all I had to think was, you need to stop. I can't. I couldn't even reach the pedal before it hit me. And I thought, okay, God, I'm coming home. I thought I was T-boned. I thought I was dying. Seriously. And you know what happened? It's like God put a cushion around me, bubble wrap. And when that truck hit me, I bounced inside and I wobbled back and forth. And I had my hands on the wheel. Came to a stop. And I thought, am I dead? Things came to a stop, and there was, you know, smell of antifreeze and all kinds of stuff, and smoke, steam coming out of the car. And I thought, I'm not dead. And I thought, am I hurt? And I moved around a little bit. I'm not hurt. Opened the door, and I got out of the car, and I was walking. And I thought, that's the kind of God. He protected me. And, and he surrounded me. He surrounded me and protected me. And that's the kind of God we serve. In just that split second, I called on the name of the Lord in my mind. I just didn't have time. I said, I'm coming home, God. And he said, not yet. Still got something for you to do. Psalms 55, 22 says, listen, cast all your burden on the Lord. He will, not might, but he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. In fact, what is he saying there? He's saying that we can unpack all of our cares and cast them on him. 
He, he calls us to do that. Matthew, excuse me, Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. I, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What does he say there? Three things. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, his saving arm. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 again says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all, say all, all your anxieties on him. Because why? Because he cares for you. He doesn't say, finally, stop droning on and on about your troubles. God says, no, you pour out your heart to me because I'm listening, because I care for you. I care about you. John 16, says, I have said these things to you, Jesus said, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And finally, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds by Christ Jesus. This is the kind of God we serve. This is the kind of God that Jeremiah was calling out to. He, this is the kind of God that, uh, that when he posed a question to Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, Lord, there is nothing too hard for you. Nothing too hard for you. Would you bow your heads with me? If we're facing difficulty today, we can press in and call on the name of the Lord, the Creator God, the one who created everything that is, the one who holds it all together, the one whose one and only Son was sent by the Father to die a bloody death on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine, who was buried and the third day rose from the dead victorious over the grave that he is alive and well, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, ever making intercession for us, that he is there only a prayer away that we can call on him to receive help and mercy in our time of need. And I'm going to ask you here in this congregation today that if you have pressing needs that you've been surrounded with, maybe sickness and maybe difficulty in relationships, maybe financial trouble, no more what your need is. If you just need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit, that there is a God today willing to reach his hand down and touch you and to save you and to encourage you and to empower you, to release peace to you, to lift your burdens today, that reminds you that you are never alone, that he is Emmanuel. So I'm going to ask you today and those watching online today that you would press in to that kind of God who opens up access to his very throne by the pathway made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ just for you. Would we, would, I'm going to ask the, uh, for you to stand as we close in prayer, but I'm going to ask you, the anointers, to come and be ready to pray for people that if you're here today and you have a pressing need, I want you to come down to the altar in faith, believing. You know, stepping out of your chair, even just out of the aisles, is an act of faith. When you step out from your place where you're seated to walk down to the front, that is an act of faith that God honors. And you know what you're saying when you do it? You're saying that I believe that if I step out and if I walk to the altar, that God is going to answer my prayers, that God will hear me, but God will answer. 
And I'm telling you, God honors faith. And I'm going to ask you to come as we, uh, right after I pray, and we're going to worship for another 15, 20 minutes. We were pretty early today. I had a short sermon. I should wish you know, I would do that every week. It's not going to happen, but you can wish it all you want. But let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit is here, we know. I'm not asking that He come. He's already here. His presence and His power are in our midst, that He is moving up and down the aisles of this church, touching every heart and every life. And I pray that, Lord, in the hearts of the people today, that there is a hunger for a God who loves them, a hunger to move closer to God, a hunger to surrender their life to Jesus, to surrender their problems and their difficulties, to surrender their struggles, Lord God, to you to surrender their sicknesses and their financial difficulties to you, that God surrender the issues they're facing today in relationships to you, that God just stepping out, Lord, see their faith, and Lord, honor them and bless them, I pray, today in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.